Hear the word of God from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the, the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David, 
14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. I hope you're doing really well today. I know it's hard not being able to gather together for worship on the Lord's day, but by his grace, we will get through this time. I believe here at Waypoint Church that the Holy Spirit unites our hearts together, even when we're not physically together. So I do so miss gathering with all of you, but know that our hearts are still united. Today, we're in our Advent Sermon Series. We're looking into some of the major themes in the books of Isaiah and Matthew, which actually sets the stage for our sermon series coming in the new year. Starting January till May, we'll be back and forth in the books of Matthew and Isaiah, kind of joining them together for our sermon series. And I love this time of year, guys, I really do. I love the cold air, I love the lights, I love the trees, I love the festive feel, I love it all. But one night this past week, I wasn't feeling it, not even a little bit. My wife had a Zoom meeting and I was with the boys. I thought, you know what, this is a good time. Let's spend some time learning the Christmas story together. It'd be a good family Christmas experience. So I sat them down and I went over the Christmas story again. And it went miserably. One son wouldn't sit still. The other one wanted to uh, do something else. The other one wanted to hear the story, but only wanted to have it done um, on the video. He says, oh, dad, you're not good enough. He wants it on the video. So I was very frustrated. So I said, I forced them to sit down. I said, sit down. And gosh, it went so poorly. I was so frustrated with their lack of caring, with their poor attitudes and with everything. I was so done. I said, all right, fine, whatever. Do whatever you want. No more Christmas. Christmas is canceled. Then I proceeded to just go watch TV. Gina came down from upstairs for a second um, before her next meeting and said, hey, I have a good idea. Why don't, why don't you take the boys out and look at Christmas lights? She didn't know the frustration I just had with them, but you know what? I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna let her know. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go take them out. I said, okay, great idea. I'm gonna take them out to look at Christmas lights. So I loaded the kids up, turned on some Christmas music, and we just went driving, looking at Christmas lights in our neighborhoods and the neighborhoods around us. Man, it was awesome. It was so cool to hear Hudson ooh and ah over the lights. I had a chance to point out the mangers that people had lit up and kind of explain the story again th that way, talk about Jesus. They actually answered questions when I asked them. Now, the ice cream helped, but it was still an amazing time. It was a flip for me. Out of my darkness and anger came this wonderful moment of joy with my boys. And I share that story because for us to really understand Advent, and the Christmas reality, we need to understand darkness. We need to get that Jesus' coming wasn't a cherry on top of a Sunday. He entered in because darkness was rampant, and we need to know the hope that it provides. This is a text we see in Isaiah that we read today. Hope in such darkness. One of the main repetitions and themes you see over and over again in Isaiah is the idea of judgment and hope. It goes back and forth throughout the whole book. And in this beautiful passage of scripture, we see such hope entering the darkness. Let me give you some context in what is happening here in Isaiah. The Assyrian Empire was the powerful empire of the area, and they were threatening the whole region. To the north, God's people have already divided into two kingdoms. To the north, the kingdom of Israel had formed a mutual kind of defensive alliance with the king of Syria in order to protect themselves from the Assyrian Empire. Meanwhile, to the south, in Judah, King David's heir, King Ahaz, was left alone and vulnerable. And chapter 7 and all of chapter 8 tell us the, the, the fate, the prophecy of what's going to happen. First, the northern kingdom of Israel is destroyed eventually by the Assyrians. Then the, then tells about the downfall of Ahaz for his unbelief and the dire circumstances and sufferings that will still face the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. 
So if you look at the end of chapter 8 and notice some of the adjectives the prophets use to describe the situation, you'll see dire how bad and how dire things really are. He talks about distress, hunger, rage, contempt of the king and of God, darkness, and the gloom of anguish. So these are very dark, very difficult days. And this is where this word of God comes in. And into this context, into this gloom of this text, comes this bright word of gospel hope and a promise of a child to be born who we all know as the Lord Jesus Christ. And given, let me just give you quickly an outline of this text that we're going to be seeing here. And I want you to see there's a beautiful logic and progression here in the verses 1 through 7 in chapter 9. In verses 1 through 3, the prophet sets up a series of direct contrasts designed to address the dire situation in which God's people find themselves. And so God is going to cause a great reversal one day, he tells, he tells them. The gloom and the anguish and the grief and the darkness will be overturned. In verses 4, 5, and 6, we're kind of told how and how come. The, what are the, the causes of the extraordinary and glorious reversal. And each one of these begins, verses 4, 5, and 6, with the kind of indicated by this word for in our English translations. Verse 4, everything will change. For oppression will end. And then war will cease, for war will cease in verse 5. And yet behind all of that, at the root of it all, the great cause and foundation of every other blessing that will bring verse re- reversal and fortune to the people of God, verse 6, is the birth of this child. For to us a child is born. He will be the ground and the basis of this marvelous, incredible reversal God will bring into the lives of his people. So as you see the logic and structure of this passage, the climax really focuses our gaze and our attention on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he does, he reigns, and who he is. Those marvelous titles the prophet assigns him, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. So today what I want to focus on are two major points, just two simple points. The one first point is the reality of darkness. And the second point is the reality of hope. So I'll say that again, the reality of darkness and the reality of hope. The reality of darkness, and some of you might be thinking, why be a Debbie Downer, Lawrence? It's Christmas season. Why talk about darkness at all? It's Christmas time. It's a great time to fake it and act like people are good and kind and all that. Act like there's peace on earth and people are really good. And to understand and appreciate the power of Advent and the celebration of Christmas, we must first look squarely into the darkness that is there. It is real. And it's not a small thing. It's not a new thing. We see this in the Israelite people and this writing by Isaiah. In the first chapter of Isaiah, he goes right into describing the darkness of his day. This is in chapter 1 of Isaiah. He says, Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. <clears throat> they have forsaken the Lord, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel, and they have turned their backs on Him. That cultural predicament of Israel in the 8th century doesn't sound all that different from our own cultural predicament, does it? The reality of darkness is not just around us, It's in us. We are rebellious. We do not understand. We are laden with sin and iniquity. We are born into sin. And we are estranged. We are far apart from God. And though there are certain external situations, just like for the Israelites, that threaten us, we are our own worst enemy. We are people who walk in darkness, who dwell in a land of deep darkness. And we've seen that, right? 2020 has been a dark and difficult year on so many levels, hasn't it? 
COVID has ravaged our lives in so many ways. We've lost loved ones. Um, our experiences have seen so many evil and such atrocities from racism to, to injustices around the world. Tim Keller says, the once optimistic notion of modernity, that things are gonna get better due to the rapid increasing technology has been replaced with postmodern skepticism and a growing hint of despair. How? I mean, the once optimistic view that because technology and everything's gonna get better, things are gonna get better has now been replaced with a postmodern skepticism, which I see over again. We have almost a skeptical, skeptical look on the world. Even me, the optimist, looks around and says, oh man, this is just getting bad. But similar to the 8th century, there was a time of violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, and refugees, and fleeing, and oppression, and families with depart. It's even to this day. Darkness is reality. Darkness is real. And the Bible says the sources of darkness in the Bible is equated with ignorance. But it's more than ignorance. It's a willful ignorance. It's not choosing to not know better. It's, it's, it's a choosing to not know better. It's, it's to turn from what is right and what is shown to be right. Darkness is not only the inability to see, it's also defiance against our God. It's treason against the king. It's an evil that we inherited and one that we helped create, and no one is innocent. Within the context of Old Testament prophecy, should our enemies kind of overtake us, it would serve as the just punishment we deserve because our sins against God, and that's exactly what Isaiah communicates to the Israelites as the Assyrians threaten to overtake them. We read in Isaiah 10, it says, Ah, Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. And here's the point, guys, I want you to get is walking in the reality of darkness has consequences. And I'm not the, just to let you guys know, most of you guys already know this, but I'm not the best sleeper in the world. I wake up often throughout the night. And after Josiah's most recent seizure and scare that we had, he spent uh, the nights in our room. And so Hudson, who Josiah and Hudson were sleeping together in the same room, we had, we had like a tent up in their room, so they were sleeping together. And Hudson was like, whoa, well, Josiah's sleeping in mom and dad's room? I need to be sleeping in mom and dad's room too. So lately, Josiah and Hudson have been on mats in, in our room. And so... Uh, me, as a person who wakes up in the night, now has kids on the, on the floor of our room. So one night, Hudson brought a toy with him to bed that I didn't know about. So in the darkness, I was walking. I was walking to the bathroom, and then I stepped on one of Hudson's toys. Now, I'm not a light stepper. So a full, full-on step on a sharp plastic toy led to immense pain. Some of you guys are like, mm, amen, I know what you're talking about. There are consequences to walking in darkness. I didn't see the toy that led to such pain. You can't see what is right in front of you. You can't see the pain that is right in front of you by the decisions you're gonna make when you walk in darkness that you could avoid. But just as real, in darkness, you also can't see the reason for the pain in front of you that you are going through. See, walking in darkness is scary, often painful, and dangerous. If you walk in darkness long enough, you'll get lost, hurt, or worse. Walking in darkness has consequences. But at the same time, also walking in darkness might not be scary, but it might prevent you from seeing what is really around you. You can be deluding yourself into a reality that isn't true and isn't satisfying. Either way, walking in darkness has its consequences. And the consequences for the Israelites were they will lose their land. They will be ruthlessly conquered by the Assyrians to the north. They'll be taken into captivity. The message of Isaiah is clear and repetitive. Judgment is coming. And the reality of our darkness is the same as the Israelites. The world has a stain. It's in darkness. Darkness that leads to broken people doing broken things. 
We see injustice and racism and genocide and greed and theft and all manner of sins. So where's our hope? Darkness is a given. The question then is, is not if there is darkness. The question is, where is our hope? Christmas is a season of hope for most people, even for those who are unaware or dismissive of Scripture. Jim West says there are different versions of Christmas in our culture. The secular humanist version of Christmas suggests that we can all make things better if we choose to be kind. If we can come together and work harder to take care of those who can't for themselves. If we can just set aside our differences and just tolerate each other. The atheist, materialistic version of Christmas says, throw a party and have some friends over because life is an accidental conglomeration of cells that has no meaning, no hope, nothing to live for, nothing to die for. So embrace the spirit, have fun while you can, and quit trying to create hope where there is none. But what is Christmas for you? What is Christmas for Christians? If you read Isaiah from beginning to end, you'll see a pattern develop regularly throughout the text. There is God's lament over his people who have turned away from him. There is his judgment that promises punishment for those who rebelled. There's darkness, but then comes a promise of hope. A promise that light is coming for those who walk in darkness. If you turn back with me to the first chapter of Isaiah, immediately following God's lament over his rebellion, verse 18, it says this, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So what is the hope in the midst of darkness? The hope is forgiveness. The hope is relationship. The hope is Jesus. The hope is that the stain of our sin will be made clean, that the debt we have accumulated will be paid. The hope is restitution and reconciliation with God. And where does that hope come from? The hope comes with a king that is coming. In chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, it says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The light to come, the light that brings hope in the midst of the darkness. The light that brings forgiveness of sins, the light that enables an evil nation to be reconciled to God. The light that brings peace among the nation is a king who is both the law and the word of the Lord. He's a king and he's a judge. He's the light of the Lord. In chapter 7, a sign is revealed regarding his identity. In verse 14, we read, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, it says this, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The light is the king, the son of a virgin, child born to us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the law of God, the word of God, and he is the light of the Lord. 
According to the Bible, for those who walk in darkness, the source of our hope is one who comes from outside of us. We can't dispel our own darkness. Coming together to, to work harder for the common good is a great idea, but it won't dispel the darkness. Being kind and sharing our abundance with others who don't have enough is the right thing to do, but it will not dispel the darkness. We cannot fix ourselves. In his book, The Fulfillment, Timothy Tennant writes this. The first sin was like a virus on a computer system, which spreads to the entire network. It has to be professionally removed because the computer cannot remove it on its own. It can't heal itself. This virus has affected all of us, and we cannot work back to where we were or restore ourselves to our previous state through good works. Christmas is a proclamation that the cure for the virus has come. All that was lost can be reclaimed. The light has come into the darkness, and that light has come with hope, forgiveness, and reconciliation with God. It is the good news for all people. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He is our king. He is the fulfillment of every promise God has ever made. He is the Messiah come. He entered into our darkness so that we might be rescued. He paid the debt that we owe God by exchanging his perfect life for our corrupted life. Salvation is available to all who repent and call upon Jesus in faith. Make no mistake, my people. Jesus is this reason for the season. And here's what I want you to understand. And here's what I want you to get. In the midst of this passage, come, uh, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of our dark times now, we, like the Israelite people, we, like the people of Isaiah, we're saying, come, Lord Jesus. We're saying, come, Messiah. We're saying, come, Rescuer. Come, God, because ultimately what we need in this world is you. Not to prove us right. Not to, to, to make us feel better about ourselves but to see your kingdom come on earth as in heaven, see your rule and reign happen. Because we are broken people in a broken world. And we need salvation and healing that only comes to the king who has healing in his wings. My people, our hope is this. This king has come. This child has been born. Government is on his shoulder and he is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our prince of peace. Do you see him? Do you see the hope that is yours this Christmas season? Advent has happened. He has arrived and he will arrive again. He will fulfill. In the meantime, we're called to believe in his coming again so we are empowered to do the work that he started for us to do on this earth so his kingdom may advance so others may know that there is healing to be had. There is peace. That no longer do they have to walk in darkness and so they can walk in the marvelous light. So as we celebrate this season, let us live this difficult time knowing that we have a light that has pierced the darkness. That light is letting us see the taste of the kingdom here on earth now, and it allows us and sends us and compels us to the darkest of places. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that in the midst of darkness, you sent light. So that now we can see the, the foolish ways of walking in darkness, the futility that it leads to, the rebellion that it, is, that it is. But we also then see as we walk in light now that we see that even when we suffer, even when we hurt, we see the reason and the purpose and we see your glory in it and our sanctification in it. God, thank you for light. Thank you for the promised Messiah, the salvation, the king that was coming, the child that was born, God with us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming in the fullness of time, 
showing us what love and what God really is. Dying upon the cross, bringing, purchasing many. God, for being resurrected, for being seated at the right hand of the Father and interceding for us and for knowing that, for allowing us the peace and truth and the comfort to know that you are coming again. We eagerly await your coming as we eagerly attempt to pierce the darkness with the light you've given us to show your kingdom advancing on this place as we're called, as long as we're called to live here. In Jesus' name, amen. Whiteport Church, we're gonna to continue to celebrate this arrival and this coming, this rescue, this beautiful salvation of the light coming to the darkness by taking a communion today. Now, I know communion is so different now with COVID and doing this over video and internet, and it's just a difficult concept for us, but we believe by the power of the Spirit that He's calling us as a family into this family meal together. And for those of you who, who are part of this at home, God, I, I invite you at this moment, if you don't have the elements ready, you can either pause or you can just run and go get the elements ready for us, but we're gonna be partaking in communion as a family meal together. I invite you to come with eager anticipation as we take this communion together, we're eagerly waiting and celebrating the fact that Jesus came and he will come again. And as a family, we say, as you called us to live in this earth, we take this family meal together and say, until you come again, Jesus, this is the work that we're gonna be about as we're gonna pierce the darkness with your light. And we're gonna see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So as we partake our sustenance from him, as we partake this communion from him, we not only just remember him, we don't just receive this means of grace, we also commit to living this out as a family together. To celebrate the light coming into the darkness, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting king, our prince of peace. So I invite you, as a family, as we take the bread that Jesus himself broke to, in front of his disciples and said, this is his body which was broken for you. And as we take and we see the cup, they said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you. And as I take, we, we hear at Waypoint, I've been practicing through intention. You can practice however you feel called at your own place, but as we bless these elements together, I invite you to partake in communion in such a means that it's worth glorifying the name of Jesus, not in a unholy manner, not in a neglectful or disdainful manner, but I invite you to partake of this family meal together, even though it's different, even if it's difficult, even though it's at home, I invite you to partake it through the power of the Holy Spirit as a means of grace and receive your sustenance from him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we partake in communion together, will you bless these elements? Bless them even across distances in the name of Jesus so that as we partake in this together, God, we celebrate the coming of Jesus, we celebrate the work upon the cross, we celebrate his resurrection, and we celebrate his coming again. And we receive the means and sustenance to go forth and do the job that you've called us, the purpose you've given us on this earth now, till he comes back. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We invite you at home, wherever you're at, to partake in communion together. As his body that was broken and the blood that was shed. Amen.